Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered mm. right to your door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there's something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and national experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Go to the link in our show notes to get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very... Off-grid episodes of Unprofessional Development. I'm Tedisco. And I'm Mealy. And today we have with us Off-Grid Gretchen. I don't know if she goes by that in, in real life or whatever, but um, she's one of my followers on Twitter. And I, and I gave her a big shout out because she's one of the more positive people on Twitter. No matter if I post something goofy, if I post something about education, if I say whatever, I, I see my notifications. Gretchen liked that tweet. Gretchen liked that tweet. Gretchen liked that tweet. That's like, how you get on the show. Yeah, I am a positive affirmation junkie, and she regularly fulfills that need. So, without me trying to like get into all the details, I'll I'll let her do it. So we like to do this with bizarre um, statements, and I'm 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 still trying to come up with them to disco. And I'm, I'm I don't know how many more of these I can come up with, but I but I came up with this one. Oh, you got more in the tank. I, I know you more. do. Okay, so we're gonna have you describe your education as a road trip. Okay, so where did you start? Where were some places where maybe the, the the car broke down? What were some great stops that you really enjoyed? Maybe this was like an off the off the road thing that I stopped and this was okay. Or and then what are some overhyped tourist traps? So as you like journeyed from not an educator through the world of education up until your your present state, what just kind of like and then kind of keep the metaphor going if if you can. First of all, I can say that if I'm following the metaphor. I was kind of preceded by a Model T. Nice. Uh, and because both of my dad's parents were educators. So wow. my grandmother was a kindergarten teacher and my grandfather taught junior high algebra and he eventually became a superintendent. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Of a, so you've got of a small, small, tiny district. Um, and back, back in the day when things were very different. So they began teaching in the, in the 1930s. So. Oh my goodness. But I had that legacy in my family. My dad was involved in the school board, although he wasn't an educator himself. He was very involved in, in our local educational community. Um, and my mom was for a period of time was a school counselor, um, and ended her career as an admissions in, in admissions. So. I have that legacy, if I think about it, of, yeah, the Model T coming off the line that came yeah. from me. To, you broke around all those educators. You still wanted to do it? Yes. <laughs> you know, it, it is funny because when I initially was thinking about it, my grandparents were very proud of me. They were very proud. But, yeah, that didn't dissuade me. <laughs> do, do you have <laughs> pictures? Uh, are, are, I, are there any pictures of, like, your grandparents in the classroom or in front of the school or with their class or something like that? I, I do have one, a, a few from my grandmother when she was in the local paper a couple of times. And wow. it, the big secret, I guess, is that there's actually a school named after my grandfather. Oh, nice. Because of his contributions. Wow. To the so we have, we have that actual school. That's um, really cool. So, and, and my, my brother was born on the day it was dedicated. 
Um, and so they've always felt very close to us. We have a lot of pictures from that. That would be such a neat thing to have, like, sitting on your desk and kids come up and go, oh, yeah, there's my grandfather. He taught da-da-da-da-da-da and it's, stuff like that. It's, so. it's pretty cool. It, yeah. it is neat. So your parents were the favorites. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> and well, yes. we, I mean, we, we didn't live in the district. We weren't, you know, we were a, a few towns removed. But um, definitely, my, well, my grandma taught in my hometown. And when she taught, she was one of the two kindergarten teachers. And, and so she taught the other half of the town. There was that legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see the effect that that good teaching has on the community. So yeah. that, that yeah. was my starting. If I go to the roadmap, yeah. like I, I had a good factory build there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, however, when I was trying to start out as a, young adult, young car off the lot. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And so I did not jump into an education program. I grew up in California and in the California system, and you can't get an education degree at the University of California. So I I majored in philosophy, minored in English, and I, I thought about teaching. I interned at a high school for a year. I always worked with kids. I led outdoor programs. We took kids like on rafting and wilderness trips, but I still wasn't sure. I was not ready to dealt, like jump right into the, into the classroom. I, I was thinking about law. I knew I wanted to travel. So either philosophy, law, or travel or teaching. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of, a lot of different ideas there. And yeah. That's like, awesome. So I did like the pre-law track, but I still took children's literature and loved that class. It should have been a little road sign Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I loved it so much, but I I wasn't sure, but I knew I really wanted to join the Peace Corps. So when I graduated, I I took all the steps that I needed to, to become a Peace Corps volunteer, but I didn't serve in education (laughs) because I was still torn. And that, that's what most people do. They go into some form of education, but I worked in agroforestry under natural resources management. So for two years, I worked in, in Senegal assisting farmers, working with the local Ministry of Waters and Forest. And during that time, I wound up working with the school garden and really, really loved the kids. And I saw so many failed programs. The USAID would come in and they would build things and then they would break down. They didn't have community support and then it would fail. Time and time again, I would see these types of problems. And I really felt like my path to be able to help people would be to teach them. Um, starting with, you know, a good foundation. Um, and when I came back home, I realized there was still plenty of need in America. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that I've been more like mission driven, but my car veered off the road. And <laughs> so when I came back home, I decided to work for the park service for a while. I guess they could say my, my little car drove over to Yosemite. Nice. Um, and I worked at the entrance booth, welcoming people to the park, guiding That's them cool. around, kind of being the welcoming face to Yosemite. During that time, again, it just solidified that I wanted to work with people. I wanted to teach because I, I had so many questions from adults that were absurd to me. <laughs> and I, I wanted to work with children to try and build up those skills at an earlier age. And yes, get to yes, point, yes. Um, asking things like, where, where are the rock seeds? <laughs> questions about, and I can't, where are the rock seeds? People were curious about the world, and they still didn't fundamentally have a grasp on science, even as adults. 
Wow, yeah. they could vote. Yes, rock <laughs> seeds. They're called pebbles. <laughs> just plant I, them I, in the ground. I, they and were rocks planted many. Yes, this 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 mountain here was planted many years ago by a, a pebble. By you know. Occasionally, I would give answers that were snarky like that, and then mm-hmm. I would check myself and come back and remember that they literally did not know any better. Um, and and part of me could sit and dwell on how sad that is, and part of me could want to try to be part of the solution. So after a period of time, I decided to go to grad school for education in my teaching credential, and have been on the long path towards teaching since then. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm yeah. really glad you chose to go in the Peace Corps because with all of those other interests, I think the only other job you had would be a uh, political prisoner. Uh. <laughs> Travel and law and philosophy. That's it. I still bring that with me because I do care a lot about educational policy. So the past year, in addition to working in education still, I've been a, an education policy fellow um, mm-hmm. and have been learning about how policy decisions get made at the state level here in California so, like, I'm still interested and I still care a lot about environmental issues and have the ability to do that even as a classroom teacher to be involved. So I want to come back to the ed policy thing in just a minute, but I also am reminded of how I would tell people wrong things all the time. So <laughs> it's completely unrelated, but that's 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 why people are here. Um, <laughs> so when my son was about three or four, we had a dog. And we got the dog a year before we had our kid. And so we always referred to her as our daughter. You know, as a lot of people do refer to their to their pets as their children. So what we told my son when he was like three is that he had an older sister, but we were really busy and didn't have time to take care of her. So we fed her dog food until she became a dog. And then... We told her, and that's why she's always trying to eat the people food, because she thinks if she eats enough people food, she'll turn back into a people. <laughs> the, the, the sad thing is, is that kids don't know any better, and so they'll believe something. Right, like so so he kind of believed it a little bit, and we now it's more like a like a family inside joke that we just just reference to the fact that like that, that, that you know but it's fun do, having, do you have any other stories of gaslighting your children <laughs> <laughs> my, i probably do i can't th- oh yeah sure I mean, there's tooth fairy but that, well that cat stuff was ground up cats and bottle was red <laughs> well, break down for me the difference between catsup and ketchup i, there's, well, I still wonder <laughs> here's well here's a fun game i used to play with my kids Oh, it was called I'm not hiding. Like this, am I? This is gonna give me a stomachache. Hide and go sleep. <laughs> so I don't. I say hide and go seek, but really they go hide, and I just close my eyes on the couch until they come back and say you couldn't find me. <laughs> I love the quiet game. The who can yes. be the quietest? Yes. Let's play the quiet game. Oh, <laughs> oh. So um, before we go any further, so education policy, which. Speaking of making me upset to my stomach, those wheels turn really, really slowly, yes? And so... They're big wheels that can crush many people. Yes. So you've been doing this... How long did you say you've been kind of involved in that? Just this past year, they have teacher fellows who okay. serve a term and learn about policy. And, and then eventually, you can choose to continue on as a senior fellow if you'd like to, uh-huh. or as an alumni, still be involved. The idea with the program with Teach Plus is to give teachers a voice and mm-hmm. to teach teachers about 
all the levers involved as well. Yeah. So without getting too like cynical, are there people in it who have been in it longer than you who have given you positive feedback on how they feel they've actually been able to make a difference? Or are you getting a lot of, well, I'm still trying here, but mostly we just are spinning our wheels. Within our fellowship, we were put into cohorts and Mm -hmm. there's a senior fellow assigned to each cohort. And I would say the senior fellow who I worked closely with has been still very hopeful about the process. And and this has been a hard year because of COVID. So a lot of legislative processes, a lot of bills got overlooked or didn't make it out of where they were last Mm -hmm. year. Yeah, they they had bigger priorities at the time. And we weren't able to meet in person. So we're on summer hiatus, but we had a meeting a few weeks ago and we were starting to beg our director, like, can we meet in person? Because we've literally only seen each other over zoom yeah and there you know there were funds in the past to go to sacramento to be put up in previous mm-hmm. years and then that didn't happen this year so we're like well can we still meet yeah and, and so it's the same thing that many people in other professions have had to deal with which is how do you build a relationship or a connection mm-hmm. it's just over video yeah it's not 100 percent. you can get some stuff but you can't get you can't get the whole thing and let's circle back to the Peace Corps again for just a second. So my friend was in the Peace Corps many, many moons ago as well. And he did it basically because he wanted to become a spy. Um, and I think he is a spy right now, but he says he works for the State Department, but, which, is, which is that's what spies do. And if so, the audio cuts after this, you know Mealy's correct. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but he didn't have a positive experience. He, he called it the easiest job you'll ever hate. As, as, as opposed to the toughest job you'll ever love. We're not here to bash the Peace Corps, but tell me your experience in the Peace Corps, other than, um, learning that maybe you want a, a little bit in the education. What about that shaped you as a person? And how did you see working within systems? And how, how did that shape you as an educator? Oh, hugely. Uh, when, when I first arrived in country, I, I, we had two months of training. I had, I had, some proficiency in French, although I, I only took it in high school, mm-hmm. um, but I, I passed their kind of language. And, and French is the colonial language that's still used right. in government. So I was able to get around enough to be able to read and write and do grant work in, um, in, in French just mm-hmm. with high school. So I was given instruction on this language called Pular. Um, and I had two months to pass the state department tests. Wow. In, in Pular, you, you had to reach a certain degree of proficiency to be allowed to, to serve. And is it um, known as a really complicated language or, or a relatively simple language or medium or? It's, it's extremely complex. Okay. And only recently alphabetized. Like it doesn't follow the normal like subject, verb, object, mm-hmm. grammatical structure that you would have in, in Western languages. Yeah. The alphabet's totally different. So some of the letters kind of align, but there are all these other letters. Instead of prefixes and suffixes, there are also infixes. Oh, wow. Uh, the majority of the, the content in words would be contained in the verbs. So there were verbs for everything from like helping someone put a bucket of water on their head, helping someone take a bucket of water down off their head. It was completely foreign. Oh, my goodness. It, it had two months to become proficient enough to be sent off into the world. Um, wow. And so I think that has really been the most valuable thing for me as an educator working with English learners. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I don't have a background in Spanish. I only did a two week fun cult course in, in Oaxaca that did not teach me enough, right. but it helps me to empathize mm-hmm. with it like being immersed somewhere. So I spent two years at a site. My closest neighbor was 90 kilometers away. My wow. closest American. 
I, I see isolated. It was just that it was isolated from other Westerners, isolated from any other Americans. I was surrounded by people, but they weren't from my culture. They didn't speak my language. And wow. So that has definitely helped my empathy with students who are mm-hmm. newcomers. And I think it's it giving me a bigger picture when there are problems, like say the copy machine's broken down, like it's frustrating, but like <laughs> there could be bigger problems. Yes. Right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, it could so, be the copy machine broke down and the next copy machine is 90 kilometers away. away. Exactly. Yes. And the copy machine is how you get water. <laughs> I mean, like literally I did live in a mud hut with no running water or electricity. Wow. Wow. Um, and so if I needed water, I had to carry it in the bucket on my head. So when I think about resourcefulness, overcoming problems, I remember that perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, my work with both American and Senegalese bureaucracies has, I think, given me both a frustration, and <laughs> but also the knowledge of like what it takes to kind of smooth things over and make things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, like to, full to perspective. Not, yeah. Wow. So you just got to like find those little victories and like keep pushing forward. Always persisting. And that's what it's left me is the takeaway is like just that there, there will be an answer. It just not might not be on the time frame that I want. And and it might mean having to, to think more creatively. You know, I've predominantly worked in underfunded schools. And so when I think about trying to be resourceful, I've always looked for grants, outside funding, always seeing what I could do to bring to my school that maybe didn't exist before. One of the coolest things that I got to be involved in was at the, the previous district where I have been working for the past several years. Um, it was on the edge of the Tahoe Forest, and our, our students were very, very isolated. It's a huge area, when it, the largest geographical area in California that a district covers, but the kids were very far removed from society in general, from mm-hmm. town life, from even from being able to have regular opportunities with other kids. I mean, the other school in our district was a one-room schoolhouse. Wow. With fewer than 10 kids. And I, I had the opportunity, be, it literally dropped into my lap. The county arts council had a poetry program. And they reached out to us and wanted to try and coordinate poetry teachers. So I got to participate in this program called Dream of Difference. And we we're able to bring working poets to teach lessons to our students. Cool. And then they connected with other students learning about poetry in different countries around the world. And they always wanted, they wanted to work with conflict zones. So mm-hmm. we connected with a school in Syria. Wow. Uh, and the kids were able at the end of the program to recite some of their poems that were, <laughs> were <laughs> the best that we were able to select. Mm-hmm. We, shared their work over Skype with the kids in Syria and then the kids sing to our kids. Oh, wow. It was a really incredible experience. Um, And at the end of it, our kids' work was published in a book along Mm -hmm. with the other students who they had been working with. Amazing. It was literally offered to me as an opportunity, but it took a lot of persistence in terms of getting the kids to work with the program. And I think that mindset of like, there's a whole big world out there that because of these things like Skype that yes. we bring to kids who might not have the opportunity to see it. So that that's also something that's really stuck with me. We always talk about the third goal in Peace Corps, which is bringing back service to America, bringing back our experience. So I usually yeah. share my story with students, teach them about Senegal, teach them about the culture, 
there's also Peace Corps week in February. So I try to share with different groups of kids and continue trying to bridge different cultures together. I was going to say, I think one of the lessons from the, or my takeaway from the whole Syria thing is it's annoying sometimes the amount of work and effort and paperwork and approval and all that needs to happen to have literally what might come up to be like a 30 minute experience. You know what I mean? You know, and it's like, I, I, so it took me like, it took me like 17 hours to have like 30 minutes of Skype time with these people too. But the, what you have to look at is you have to look at the other end is that the kids take that 30 minute of Skype time with the kids in Syria and exponentially spread that, what that means to their life later on. So it ends up being completely worth it because they might be the only thing they remember from that whole year of school sometimes. You know what I mean? That was totally it. And the kids got to perform their poems on the radio too, the local radio. So oh, yes, cool. there were hours of work on the back end that went into it. And it was made a lot more difficult because of the security situation. Yeah. Because you could have been planning some kind of a, a coup or they, yeah, the Syrians try to radicalize your students possibly. You know, we had to make sure that that wasn't happening, right? <laughs> that, that, that was absolutely a piece of it. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> where, where in Syria? Uh, because of the security situation, we weren't told the exact town. <laughs> it, and it was, it's more to protect the children's identities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so uh, cool, though. <laughs> And and that reminds me also, and this, this, this is a little thing, and this, this is the annoying thing sometimes with, with school, and you part of like being part of the government or big organization is our school hadn't even given us laptops yet. But in the teacher workroom, there were the desktop computers, and there was the coffee machine. And the coffee machine was connected to the internet. I said, this is really annoying that each time I create a doc, I had to like save it to my flash drive. I know that I know that's one of the first world problems. And I literally had to walk five feet with the flash drive over to the thing and plug it in and pull it up and find the file and, and, and print it. And I'm like, I should be able to just click print from like this desktop right here and it should go right to the um thing. So I said to um the principal, this thing's connected to the internet. That thing's connected to the internet. Why can't they talk to each other? And may I click print? It goes there. She says, well, you need to talk to so-and-so. So I go talk to so-and-so. I go, hey, da, 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 da. He says, well, you need to talk to the principal. And I'm like, the principal told me to talk to you. And like, I went back and forth like two or three different times. And then just blind luck, I am on my planning period. I am walking down the hall. I see the two of them walking together. I'm like, oh, <laughs> we're going to do this. We're going to do this. So like, I said, I said, I need both of you. I need both of you. They're like, well, we're going. I said, no, no, I need both of you. I said, get in here. I said, do you see this? I said, do you see this? They need to talk to each other. They're both connected to the internet. I said, I don't know how that happens, but I know somebody does, and I know that one of you can make it happen. And the principal looks at me, and she goes, they're both in the same room, and they don't... I said, yes! I said, that's all. I said, she goes, hold on one second. Literally, she gets on the cell phone, and she calls whoever it is, the person that she actually had to call. She talks to them for like two minutes, and she's like, tomorrow, they'll talk to each other. And I'm like, ah! I'm like, I'm like, this is, I've been like, it's been like four months. I've been like, like trying to make this happen. And then finally, like, and, and oh my goodness, it's just, it's just so silly sometimes that, that you, that you have to do to like, you just have to get the right people in the right room for just, just two minutes. And all of a sudden now all the red tape all gone. Yeah. You know? I mean, that goes back to what Gretchen was talking about, about persistence. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Not going to give up. It's the Overthrowing Education Podcast. And I'm your host, Batsheva Frankel. We all know that great education should be engaging and inspiring. And Overthrowing Education 
aims to be just that as well. Every episode starts with a Fomercial. It's a commercial parody for fake educational products we wish were real, followed by a discussion with passionate educators making a difference. While most discussions are playful, even within our serious and informative chats, the real fun comes when I make my guests play the five-minute game show at the end of the interview. Each game show is written especially for that episode's topic and guests. Every episode provides practical ideas and tools as well as food for thought. So join me as we overthrow education. I really appreciate your story about the poetry, too, because I ran a poetry club at a high school. It's fun. It's rewarding. Like people are constantly saying, oh, why don't kids do more creative stuff in school? And the thing about that is like getting kids to be creative and to focus is impossible. (laughs) It's like because like they want to be creative, but then they want to go in a million different directions. And then like most of them get halfway through a poem and then give up and wander away. That's like, totally true. My my only answer to that, because I encountered this sometimes with my own work lately, has been like dictation. If we could provide more tools for dictation, because mm-hmm. they get so constrained by mechanics of writing, and the difficulty in spelling, especially kids struggling with their skills. Like I think that that's that's one of the biggest things is that they might have the interest, they might have the ideas, and be able to say it out loud. But when it comes down to the the mechanics of of the written form, it it stifles their kind of creative process, but they need to develop their literacy skills. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm trying to sort out what will that balance look like in terms of try, trying to develop, help kids with their development of their creativity skills, but also in not letting the mechanics of writing be a barrier yeah. as much, but also make them practice writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just impossible. I mean, <laughs> I, it's worth it. It's so worth it, but oh right. my goodness. It's crazy. So, when I ran that poetry uh, club, we had a, and then adding in the performance piece on top of that, that's, mm-hmm. that's a whole other game. So we, they had a performance and I helped them like practice for it and whatnot. So the day of the performance, the whole club just like stay after and I stayed with them. And I forget when the performance was that evening, six o'clock, let's say. So we stayed after, we ordered pizza. They, they were practicing their poems, going over and over and over again. They have just tons of nervous energy, so they're in the auditorium, they're all running around and doing cartwheels and laughing and singing and whatnot. Comes down to the show, we get up to uh, one boy who goes up, and he gets halfway through his poem between the nervous energy and the fact that he forgot the next line in his poem and he got lost, and then all of the pizza and the cartwheels. Oh no. He just kind of looked at the audience and went... Thank you. And then ran off stage, <laughs> ran out the back door and just threw up in the grass. Wow. No. Wow. Wow. No. Yeah. Well, we couldn't find him for a little while. We're like, oh. I guess, I don't know. Oh my. Yeah. Okay. No. Well, I was going to say, the thing that comes to my mind as I, as I think about that is if you can get them to collaborate and go, okay, you don't have to do it as a performance and you don't have to do it as a written piece, like you can do one or the other, or if you want to like write something and someone else performs it or someone else has like some, that they can speak it and then you can write it down for them. And if you can kind of still, the learning can take place and they can look at it and they can learn from what's being written down and they can explain to each other and then kind of help them overcome each other. I think there's a lot of 
challenges that, that, that me as a teacher, I'm trying to more and more go everyone's demonstration of mastery and everyone's assignment that they turn in doesn't need to fit into the same box for me to say that, hey, that's success. Hey, that's learning and, and do that. So I'm really kind of more wrapping my head around that. And it's not, and it's not easy. Our nature is to want to compare and judge things apples to apples. And somebody's like, no, no, why don't you make an apple? You make an orange and you make a pear and you make fruit salad over there if you want to. It's, it's all, it's all good. pebbles and wait for some rocks to grow. I mean, I mean, who's to say they won't, you know, <laughs> who's to say they won't. Takeaways of this year look differently at what's completed work, mm-hmm. what kids showing their mastery offer more opportunities for different ways of showing their mastery. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. I'm, let me just get on my soapbox here for just a second. <laughs> and I, I understand why they're saying it, but I'm like, really? There's this, I guess this meme or whatever that's been going around. I think, I don't know, board teachers, whoever put out there and people just retweeting it. And, and, and the sentiment is nice, but it's saying, if a kid got in trouble last year, don't hold it against them this year. And I'm like, who got in trouble? Why would someone get in trouble last year? Like, they're like, really? Like, what? Like, <laughs> There's no one, no one, for? right? No like, one should have gotten in trouble last year. I mean, I'm sure someone could have done something bad, but like, there's the, the amount of kids that got in trouble last year should be like almost none because like, like, like they were bare, they were in their they were at home most of them for most of the time. Like, what were they getting into? I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, I get, I get you, I get you saying yes, give kids a fresh chance, but I'm like, how would I even know that a kid got in trouble last year? You know. <laughs> There's almost no Swiss data to look at. <laughs> I don't know what Swiss data is, but um, but uh, Swiss sure. data. Yeah, I don't know. Except the California thing. Oh, Swiss data is like uh, the accountability piece of of recording discipline infractions that are. Oh, uh, is it like an acronym? It, yeah, it's an acronym. I think it's the company that, that, that you guys use. Yeah, yeah. Referral has to get typed into it, and you have it, and the people will look at it for trends in terms of. When are problems happening the most? They're happening mm-hmm. at lunchtime. So yeah. it is helpful for... We have to track that to figure that out? Yes. Oh, the day before, big breaks, you know, when it's a full moon and and, 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 moon, and at lunchtime. Super Bowl. It's, it's Swiss data because that's all housed in Switzerland. Yes. <laughs> Since they're a neutral party. And that they, won't have to, they, won't, they, they can do that. They can look at the data without buying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess so. A lot of people don't like Switzerland, but their flag's a big plus. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a wow. Mealy joke for Thank you. you. Thank you. That's that's good. That's good. I'll be using that. You're welcome. So sure. who or what outside of education has has shaped you the most as an educator? And obviously, Peace Corps is the big one. Is there anything else that you say, hey, this has really changed who I am or how I educate or what I do? I'd say some of the professional development I've attended, so postgraduate work okay. uh, has, has really shaped me. Um, you had good professional development? I know. Not at my district necessarily, but um, I attended a workshop that was really influential to me at Stanford Design School about okay. design thinking, and I've gone through their process and workshop in, in terms of problem solving and looking mm-hmm. at things in a new way and through the design process that was new to me. So what's uh, one like like a tip you could give to like you know to our listeners and go, because of what I learned there, I do this with kids or I have kids do this or I, I change this about what I do? Because of that process, I try to start from a place of empathy. So mm-hmm. the problem solving, so both students and teachers, if I'm trying trying to figure out a way, rather than making any assumptions, an empathy interview isn't necessarily asking everyone 
it's more like pulling people and really trying to figure out that problem with the specific people. But I've, I've, I've used that in looking at the design of my classroom, mm-hmm. uh, trying to rethink how I use spaces in the room. But usually I, I had the thought of the physical space, but it can be for any sort of a problem to try to tackle. Another, it's, it's not from the field of education, but I've attended a lot of workshops and retreats at the a retreat center called Esalen. It, it's on the coast in California. And I attended one on uh, educator mindfulness and then another in the year before COVID on neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. And that has really opened up my mind. I started to hear about neuroplasticity in areas around trauma informed practices, mm-hmm. kind of trying to think about the way that the brain can heal itself and the way that our brains actually learn. Yes. And I, I'm kind of self-teaching and trying to look at different resources in, in terms of trying to actually understand how our brains learn and apply yeah. that to my teaching. So I think and more about I think that. getting the kids to buy in on that as well, particularly myself mm-hmm. who teaches like high school kids, that your brain is not a finished product and whatever the challenges were before doesn't mean that's what the challenges are now. And I, right. I think I use the analogy of like, you can be labeled as a crawler when you're one year old. Oh, that kid's a crawler. This one's a walker. It's like, well, right. yeah, but you're not crawling anymore. You were labeled that in fifth grade or eighth grade. Doesn't mean that's what you have to be right now. You, you just might have learned to walk and whatever the, whatever the brain analogy of that is, whatever the content analogy of that is, you, you can be doing that now. Yeah. And, and the kids can't, even in younger grades can understand that vocabulary mm-hmm. and con- those concepts. I've witnessed even first graders being taught about neuroplasticity in the brain, the way the brain can grow. People really latched on to the concept of growth mindset. Yeah. In some cases, it seems like it's almost used as a way to excuse problem, you know, like, oh, you can overcome this with your grit. That, that's yes. different. I like, I don't want to make excuses for yeah. how much yeah. the conditions that kids and living are, are terrible in a lot right. of cases. That's not okay to me. It doesn't mean we unrealistically say that, you know, that everyone is going to be Albert Einstein, you know, regardless of what their educational deficit might be. But it just means that you're not done and, and, and don't, don't stop. Exactly. Yeah, the, the people that overuse it and go, oh, yes, yes, we'll have everyone doing AP calculus as fourth graders. No problem. It's growth mindset. <laughs> exactly. So I don't, I don't think of it in, in any case of being trite. But I think it, it's important for kids to know about how their brains work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About the fact that they can still grow in their learning um, and kind of empower them. And so that that's really shifted my thinking. I, I like to say or think that I've come a long ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think that in education in general, we've been learning more about how brains work, how kids can still learn. That That's what's made a bigger impact on me. Yeah. I'm still, yeah. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm still kind of growing in that area. And I know next year when I have like a classroom full of kids, as opposed to like all the nonsense for the past year, it's, it's going to be a, a challenge not to, to like, let that old bias kind of like slip. The biggest challenge for me is when it comes to class size. And then sometimes I, I'm like, I'm like, okay, how much effort can I put into this one? And what am I going to get out of that effort versus this one over here that's trying to do it? But I have to realize that I, I can't give up. I just have to modify how I deal with that kid. And I have to talk about the persistence. I have to keep, continue to keep coming back and going, okay, okay, let's try it. Let's try it again. But sometimes I need a breather. You know what I mean? I, I, there's definitely sometimes where I'm like, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to take th- three days off, honestly, from bugging that kid because it's, he's not liking it. I'm not liking it. And just, you know, but on Monday, I'm going back. I'm going to get in there one more time and say, Hey, how about we try again? And it's amazing sometimes when that, just that break, they kind of miss 
the battle a little bit and now they're ready to like work with you and go, okay, 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 you're back. Okay. You didn't, you know, I pushed you away, but you, you know, I miss you from bugging me. So let's do this. Sometimes you both need a break. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm really glad you bring that up. A lot of times, like, I, I know me mentally, like I consider education, educational practice is one thing and then knowledge about the brain, like a scientific thing, but like, it's the same thing. And, right. and, but they were, I mean, we created, you know, the, our educational system. I mean, a lot of it comes out of, you know, enlightenment thinking, which was free psychology. And, and so a lot of times we just have trouble branching those two. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I learned a, a small amount about the way the brain thinks when I was a philosophy major. I took philosophy of mind, mm-hmm. but back then, not to age myself, but it's like cognitive science wasn't even a field yet, or it, like it was very, very new, and we were just starting to learn how how the mind actually works. So there, there's been so much more learning at the higher levels than where I am. Um, but I, 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 I found in the past several years that a lot of those learnings are now being distilled into works that we can study as teachers. You know, I have I have all of them on my shelf. <laughs> Um, the, but I, I'm still good dust collectors. Those yes. <laughs> confessions of a bookaholic, huh? Uh, That's I, my I, emotional support I, stack of unread books. Don't touch them. There is, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch, and and so it, it's an area that I'm still actively interested in. Most recently, over the past year, we've been going through a literacy training called uh, Letters, L-E-T-R-S. And in the first unit, they show basically what happens in your brain when it's learning how to read. Mm-hmm. To me, that's critical information that any teacher, especially K-5 teachers, should yeah. know. Yeah. Like how the brain work, works when it's reading and the processes that are involved. Mm-hmm. That should be taught in, in pre-service. Why do we do what we do? What's the purpose of school? How do we know what works? We don't want to be slaves to data. We shouldn't fetishize pedagogy. We don't want unaccountable, wild, free-form ideas of education that no one can really figure out how they work or if they do. We need honest, sincere dialogue. We need to talk about what really matters, and that's our students, and that's how we help them to learn and grow and improve. What we need is a discussion that includes all aspects of education, from philosophy to policy to pedagogy. You can find all of that, including interviews with authors, community leaders, teachers, students, and more on the ClassCast podcast. Check us out at www.classcastpodcast.com, on YouTube, and streaming on all major platforms. ClassCast podcast, where real education happens. And I feel so, if we've gotten this far, I haven't even asked. So what grades uh, or subjects do you teach? Yeah, I, I, I'm an elementary teacher. I could teach in the upper grades as well. I'm qualified to, but I, I like teaching elementary. Those kids smell funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so this next year, I'm going to be teaching second. Um, oh, wow. I've taught first for the most years in my career. Mm-hmm. I've taught second. I've taught a two, three combo, a three, four combo. Okay. I taught straight third grade. I subbed Head Start for four months. I was a long-term oh, wow. sub little guys. And I wound up doing a long-term sub for high school because they needed an English teacher unexpectedly. Oh, wow. So it's like, <laughs> um, and last year I served as literacy TOSA. So I was more providing support for my district in trying to start new initiatives 
<laughs> and I'm not in elementary, but my understanding is they do, don't people get pigeonholed sometimes in the, like the K through three and then four, five, and they're seen as like different things sometimes by administrators or people who make the schedules. Is that, is that like something that you found as, as well? And did you, sometimes. do you want to get into the four fives or you're, you're cool with the um, K one, two? Yeah. You know, that definitely happens. I think when I taught the, the three, four combo, mm-hmm. the fourth graders did start to grow on me, but mm-hmm. I felt that, that I'm more comfortable in primary land. Yeah. <laughs> so they, I, I, sometimes it's what administrators determine people are better suited towards. Yeah. yeah. I've thought about teaching fifth grade is something I would, I would, I wish I could just do it for a year just for fun and just, see, and just see what it's like. Cause fifth grade, my mind, I like the idea of the fact that you get to teach. And it depends on the school because some it's more now broken up where you're like the fifth grade, like English, history, social studies, whatever, where you're the fifth grade math science. But I would really, I think I would enjoy if I could get into a situation where I was fifth grade and I got to teach all the subjects. Just I wouldn't like I know, planning for all the, the subjects. The planning would be a nightmare. I, I obviously realize, <laughs> but just the fact, but but I just like the idea that it's like the last kind of grade where you could teach where you can teach all the subjects, but yet the maturity level is there to have deeper level conversations with the kids about those about those subjects. So, but no, I can't I can't imagine the planning. I, I, like, yeah, I, I literally as a, as a high school teacher, I have to have ninety minutes of lesson per day. And I rinse and repeat that two more times as opposed to having like six to seven hours with potty breaks and whatever else it, it, we, we have going on for the, for the day and, fi- and figuring that out. That, that does that. It's not anything you said, but in general, mm-hmm. there's kind of a bias toward primary teachers because we don't teach heavy content mm-hmm. that it's somehow lesser. Um, and that it's somehow less demanding and it's, just as demanding, oh. if not more, because there's so many subjects that have to be taught. And we really have to be experts in our craft of teaching mm-hmm. and knowledge, plus developing children as people. Right. Um, that takes a lot of emotional work, honestly. I have to strategize balancing the kids' energy, their behavioral needs. With first grade, it was separation anxiety at the beginning of the year, you know, mm-hmm. like, Yes, like higher cognitive demands with certain upper grades. Yeah. Now, the difficulty of the content and the difficulty to have people learn it are, are they're, they're not equivalent. They're, they're, yeah. it's, it's, I'd, I'd rather have to teach a bunch of AP level kids AP calculus than teach a bunch of first graders about the United States. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, versus I didn't even take calculus, so. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, but I'd still rather I mean, do that. It's basically just the area under the curve. That's basically all it all it is, and and the, and the and the slope of a curve. You can do it, so yes. Yeah, yeah. Max out fourth grade is like good for me. long division when I taught the the combo, and I, I do have to say like my little pitch that I've learned at the school where I've been teaching the past several years. Combo teaching, multi grade teaching is incredibly difficult. Oh my, yeah, and it, and it is not given enough space in the educational world. In terms of support, yeah, very very hard. Which we had a guest doll that we've actually taught with, and she's taught she taught elementary school and she made the move up to the high school. And so I know it's just the sample size is one person, but her statement was, "Oh, the lesson planning is ridiculously easier as a high school teacher than it was for an elementary school teacher." Well, and I mean multi grade like so when I taught second and third grade in the same year in one class, the two three class, in the three four class. 
it is so hard to balance the needs and trying to hit every standard is impossible, really. But we have state requirements to still teach them all Mm -hmm. in all subjects. It's so hard. I would need like a personal trainer out of a Peloton machine talking me through every single minute. Just you can do it. Keep pushing yourself. I would be (laughs) burned out week one. It's like Tetris in a classroom, you know, with the, with the standards trying to, (laughs) yeah, sometimes things fit where you can extend it further, Mm -hmm. say for opinion writing in one grade, you might have to have two reasons to support your opinion in the next grade up. It might be three reasons or gives more supporting evidence. So some things lend each other to that where you just extend the lesson. In some cases though, the standards are totally different. And they yeah. literally have to be taught separately. There's it's no just, way. It's just, here's a random thing. We need kids to know by the time they're 10. Yeah. How about, how about second grade? Sounds good. We've got this other pile over here. Put two of those <laughs> in third grade, one of them in fourth grade. All right. We still got some room in fifth grade if their list is only this long. But sir, it takes like a month to teach this one right here. I don't care. The list is short. Here you go. There's another one for you. <laughs> that, the, the way that the standards were devised, it, yeah. it's, I think that's how it's done. I'm pretty much sure that's the actual. Need, like, what do 12th graders need to learn? Okay, well, 12th graders need to learn this. If we need productive citizens to know this by the time they graduate from high school, they spiral back from there. Yeah. That's, from my understanding, that's where everything's coming from. It's sometimes, but, yeah. But but it's not looking at individual kids at that specific stage in their development and what they're actually capable right. of yet. It's just yeah. trying to fit all the standards in and in progression. Oh, right. When I was teaching ninth grade, I had kids with special needs. I had kids where English is a second language. And one of the standards was uh, we had to teach them errands, infinitives, and participles. Oh. And I'm like, no. <laughs> we're not, we're getting through what's a paragraph. Like, that's a, that's the max I'm getting. I don't care at that. I'm gonna, not gonna lie. I had to look up what a gerund was because I didn't remember. It ends in like, ing, right? It ends in ing. Sure. <laughs> Why not? So, so is ring that get you outside so, of Jeopardy? Is ring a gerund? What about ding? What about, what about ding? <laughs> it's a verb plus ing, I thought. Yeah, like, I think it that's is. That's where you get all those problems. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. So dancing is a gerund? I th- it can be. It depends on how you use it. Oh, okay. <laughs> G- gerunds are nouns uh, or verbs that act like nouns. Yeah. So if you said, like, I love oh. dancing. Ah, that's okay. Karen. <laughs> okay, okay. Also, I think it's not a bad name for maybe like you have you have a boy. I think I, I would I, you can name your boy Jaron. Come here, Jaron. Okay, I would I would I would, I would name my son Jaron. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, so we're, we're almost running out of time here. But if you have any, we love funny stories. So if you've got an anecdote, like things you tell, um. Well, at the at the cocktail party or wherever you wherever you are that you're that you're sharing amusing um stories. Do you have some some good ones for us? Because we we love to hear them. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I haven't shared on on Twitter already. But... Ah, share it again. Who cares? <laughs> my uh my first year teaching at my first school, mm-hmm. I had three sets of twin boys in my wow. class. Three sets of twin boys. And our question was always like, what's in the water up there? Yes. Like, how did that happen? And that that year, another teacher on our staff became pregnant. Mm -hmm. I learned. And so what I always do now when when I have a colleague and we do a a school baby shower, I have the kids 
make a baby book for for them. Oh. And, you know, like, I usually have them write advice. We do sticky notes with younger grades. And <laughs> their advice is so good. <laughs> like, the stories, I think my favorite, one of my favorites was burp it real hard. Oh, my. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you do. The best was all caps, taking up a whole page. Don't have twins. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know which kid would have said it too, because I could already hear their voice. Yes. <laughs> wow. What's that? Twins? No, I'll put one back. Okay. <laughs> like, like there's a choice. Like, right. <laughs> I taught a girl once, and she was part of a set of identical twins, and the mother named them both Louisa. Oh, my no. goodness. So we um, had to call them by their first and middle name. No, nice. identify them. Oh. <laughs> okay. So I had a set of identical twins that I had in back-to-back classes. They weren't in the same class. So the fun part was that I let the kids choose their own seats that year, and both the identical twins chose the exact same seat. Oh, no. <laughs> so. Put their names every day. Well, is there anything else you wanted to? You don't have a, you don't have a book or a, or a, or a podcast or a, or a, um you don't do lectures or whatever, right? You just just but a, fans just a, can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, but you are on the Twitter all the time. Yeah, so so boys and girls, follow her on the Twitter. She 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 will follow you back. She will give you likes. Okay, she she's one of the super positive people on Twitter, and um, well, it was really sweet. Also, when, when we did when I did do that was and I hope it made you feel good, was all the people that, like, were like, yay, Gretchen, when I, like, remember that when I, like, said that shout they're like, I love her, too, she's awesome, yes, 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 so, like, um, so, and even Principal L, uh, who's gonna be on the next, um, episode or whatever, he was, like, does, does he know you, or does he, was he just being nice? We're, we all, we follow each other, and okay. he, was, he was being nice. Okay. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, she's gonna do a better job than me, you know, no, 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 so, um, but anyway, Follow Gretchen on the Twitter. The link is in the show notes. And thank you guys again for listening. Hey, I haven't said this in a while. I don't know. If if you enjoy this talk, if you enjoy this podcast and you like hearing us run our mouths about education and stuff, let somebody else know. There's like a really easy way on your podcast app. That there's something that says share. You know, the little little ball with the other two little like lines and other little circles coming off of that. And you click on that and it says, oh, how do you want to share it? Just share it out there and and um and tell other people and then um so to just go and I can become millionaires so um it's definitely the next step that's the, yeah. we're pretty close <laughs> Gretchen um, thank you so much for being on the show today yes thank you for your time we really really appreciate it and as always stay unprofessional.